welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. Katie, I think we need a full lamb report. How many babies are on the ground? How many are you bottle feeding? What's the, what's the I latest? I feel like we need some little like, um, like news intro. Dun, 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 lambing music. Ah. music. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, speaking of, so I came downstairs after my shower this morning and I was about to the landing and I heard, Mah. oh, fuck. <laughs> so if there's any- The sheep barn's not that close to the house, you mean? There's one in my bathroom again, no. <laughs> so I took the kids to school and Jim left and apparently the lamb seemed fine just hanging out in the dining room. And when I got home, he was chasing the dog around the house. So our so 90 it's, pound it's healthy dog enough is, to maybe go back to the barn. Yeah, I think he'll get a couple slugs of milk and I'll kick him back out. But he's healthy enough to be chasing our 90 pound lab around the house. So Oli is such a tremendous sheepdog that he just bailed right out the door when I opened it because it was... It was too stressful being chased by a, you know, eight pound, five day old lamb. <laughs> yes, so for sure. He had to bail out. It snowed last night, which is some kind of fuckery, but at least the mud's covered up now. I got my job, the, the job I've had for two and a half years. My interview went well, so I get to keep my job. So, that's so awesome. explain what you're talking about. So you've been doing so a contract I've, position up until yes, now? Yes, I've been a contractor for a software company for the last two and a half years. And we got converted, which I don't really like. It sounds very welcome to our cult, but it's actually awesome. We are real employees now. We get benefits and uh, vacation. Yeah, oh. vacation. All sorts of exciting things. Health insurance. But day to day, it doesn't mean much of anything in terms of what you're actually it means doing. But it absolutely jack for my actual right. job. But yeah. apparently a thousand people applied for my job in the like three days that it was open. So that feels pretty good that I got selected to keep to continue to do your job that I've had for two and a half years. But you know, it feels good and it's nice. It it feels a lot more like being a real person, which is awesome. And other than that, kids are good. Uh the boy child fourth birthday is coming up and I asked what he wanted to take for his treat for for preschool and he said pockles which is how he says popsicles and then he looked at me and he said and corn dogs he doesn't want cupcakes <laughs> he doesn't want cake he doesn't want ice cream or whatever he wants popsicles and corn dogs so Perfect. thankfully we go to a small nonprofit community preschool and I asked this morning and they okayed it that if I bring in you know frozen corn dogs and popsicles they will happily provide them for lunch that day oh perfect so maybe I'll take a nice treat in for the for the cook too since she's putting up with this ridiculous bullshit but 
I said, you know, someday I'm going to take this baby to the state fair and his head's going to explode because he really, <laughs> All if the there's a stick things. in his food, he just wants his food on sticks. Like that's just. One of my kids day. got one of those calendars for Christmas or their birthday that has like every day, you know, the theme, right? Where it's like tartan day or friendship oh, day we or need whatever. one of those calendars. So the other day, I think it was even Monday of this past week was food on a stick day. So we were joking about all the kinds of things you could eat on a stick. And my 11 year old's like, well, anything can be on a stick if you're dedicated enough. So food on a stick day, that's, that's, that's the boy child's day. Yeah, it really is. I, I love it. The Iowa State Fair, at least they have pork chops on a stick, which are actually just chops with the, you know, the French bone left in. And people get big, big feelings about holding onto their food by the bone, which I don't understand because they're people who will eat drumsticks, which yeah. you hold on to by the bone. But apparently yes. holding the pork chop bone is that, that's a step too, too far. far. We went to Texas on our honeymoon and it was the first time that well, we went to the Texas State Fair. So that was my first state fair experience. And that was the first time I'd seen like the turkey drumstick situation. And it just made me think of like the Flintstones. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't couldn't wrap my head around these people walking around with the giant drumstick of meat and their little thing of barbecue sauce to dip it into. So how's your so life you, been, Arlene? You didn't oh. actually answer my first question. How many sheep do you have left to land? Oh, fuck, or do I you know, know at this point? <laughs> uh, there hasn't been a headcount yet. Are you more than halfway through? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, six, maybe seven. The mm -hmm. weird thing is, so last count we had forty. The last count that I took, we had forty-two lambs with ten sets of triplets, which is unheard of our goal yeah. is twins you know sheep have two tits they should have two lambs that is just the way they're made and i understand that my math doesn't make sense because by that standard every cow should have four calves because they have four tits but <laughs> right whatever but if they're going to feed their own babies yes it makes yeah. sense yeah which is why i have a lamb in my bathroom no we're most of the way done it's hard to tell because some of the girls that are out on the lot lambed early, some of them aren't bred, some of them are fuckery, you know. The fuckery level is high, Arlene. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting that impression. Yeah, so the the really cool part, and this is, this will show what a nerd I am. So one of the things I'm learning for work is a data analysis. So plugging all the numbers in and then using computer models to see what those numbers might teach us. So in the process, I am, you know, I could be using theoretical numbers or somebody else's data set, but instead I'm creating a data set out of our lambing numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm interested to see because it should be able to show me if there's any obvious correlation between like the age of use and whether she's likely to have triplets or you know, all sorts to of run things. all the models. Yeah. And I'm going to be <laughs> that nerd at work who's like, why do anything that is in any way useful to any yeah, of Yeah, that's right. If I could do you want to know about my sheep? <laughs> yes. Although Here's I will say, info. so I, I had a one-to-one -one with a new coworker last week. And the first thing he said is, you're the one who posts all the pictures of the lambs. Like. Correct. Yes, I am. Uh, you know, he lives in Queens, so he was pretty excited about that. 
Yeah, it's a novelty. You know. Anyway, so how's your life going, Arlene? It's you guys good. Back I was in after vacation. Yes, yeah. Everyone seems to be back back on track, going going to school. Remember, a few weeks ago we talked about one of my cussings was call display and knowing when the principal was calling. So I got a call the other day from a teacher who is clearly learning. She's doing a great job. I pick up the phone and she said, "It's so and so from the school. Nothing's wrong." <laughs> like all in one breath. So nice. I love that she started out with, "No one's hurt. Everything's okay. I just wanted to talk to you about something." unrelated to someone being hurt or in trouble. So that was a good way to start the conversation. Yeah, things in the barn are going along as normal. A new fun thing in the schedule is my husband started a, well, he's a 4-H leader. So he and a couple of other people have started a 4-H club recently and the most of the meetings are gonna be held here on our farm. So it works out quite nicely because some of my friends' kids are in the club, so then they can drop their kids off at the barn and come up and hang out in the house with me. So that works out very nicely. I'm super jealous. I don't actually need to be at the 4-H meeting, and I can see another adult. Yeah, so that's been fun. Yeah, Saturn didn't kick me this morning. I did get kicked right in the calf the other day from somebody else, which was a bit of a shock because it was like, wait a second, I'm on guard for her. But I mean, any cow can kick you. So it was one of those where you had to kind of take a few breaths and walk it off and then get back in there and try to get her ready to milk anyway. Yeah. Cows are yeah, bitches. I don't think there's too much else to report farm or kid wise. Oh, in sad dog news, oh. the puppy got neutered last week. So it was definitely definitely the worst thing that had ever happened to him. But now we're in that, you know, they say like, they're supposed to stay quiet for 10 to 14 days. And how's that going? He's a Jack Russell and he doesn't know that he's supposed to stay quiet for 10 to 14 days. Yesterday I had him outside and he was, I was trying to keep him chill, but there were birds and there was a squirrel and yeah, I, he didn't seem to hurt himself. I checked the stitches and he's all right, but keeping him quiet is, is not that easy. And he's so offended because my daughter's not taking him out to the barn with her every night for night check, which is one of their usual routines. He goes out with her when they do the last check of the evening and she pushes in feed and checks on the cows and he chases any cats that he can find. So he's quite sad that he's not being brought along for those trips anymore. But the vet will be here on Monday for herd health, and he can take out the stitches then. And I think then he'll be hopefully given the okay to chase cats and birds and whatever else he wants again. Very sad. Yes, it was a very sad time for him. The other thing I meant to mention in my update, I forgot about it, strangely, was that the girl child has been on an IEP for a speech delay since she was three, so for two and a half years when she started her IEP for school. An IEP is where they get, you know, speech services and whatever. She had literally five words when we started at the age of three. So in 2019, yes, December of 2019, she had five words. She graduated her IEP yesterday. She is fully at where she needs to be. I had a meeting with the principal of the school, her teacher and the speech therapist and the principal asked how she was doing. And I said, well, she used to have five words and now she never shuts up. 
So I'm going to say she's doing pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah, she's good. She talks all the time now. Oh, she does. Very, very proud and so impressed with the quality of services that we've gotten through the school and through our local area education association. The state is trying to fuck with the area education folks, which is bullshit. Yeah. You know, even fewer centers, even fewer people to do even more work with even less money. There's no way that's going to end badly. Um, You know, it's not like children are our future or anything. There's no reason we should educate them. or anything else i mean i get that the state has a budget i do understand this there are plenty of other places to save money besides shutting down aea offices um you're here yes so hot take on that one quit fucking (laughs) with teachers yeah just don't do it let them do their jobs yeah just let them do their work anyway who is our guest this week arlene We are meeting with Sarah, and we'll go right into her intro right now. So today we're talking to Sarah Boverhoff, a homeschooling mom of seven who farms in Western Michigan. Sarah's going to talk to us today about her family, their farm, and how their lives changed following her husband Peter's spinal cord injury in 2019. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So Sarah, I'm loving the genius that you're hiding in your car because I only have two kids and I can't do anything when they're home. So with seven of them presumably home all the time, I feel like the car is definitely the way to go and keep that and keep that in my back pocket. So Sarah, we start each of our interviews with the same question and this is normally Arlene's question. So it feels kind of edgy and dangerous to be asking it. What are you growing? And this can cover crops, livestock, family, business, whatever. So Sarah, what are you growing? Well, first of all, we're growing kids. As you know, we have seven of them. Our oldest is 18. Our youngest turns seven next month. And it's a busy, busy life, but it's nothing I would want to change. We also grow a bunch of livestock. We have cows for beef. We have one milk cow that provides our family with all the milk we need. We also have pigs and goats, chickens, a lot of different animals. And then we also grow corn and hay in the summer, depending on how our crops do. That typically will feed out what we have growing that year. So it keeps costs down that way. So Sarah, did you come from a farming background and did your husband as well? Or was this one person's vision more than the other? How did you end up in agriculture? I actually grew up on a chicken farm. My dad raised broiler breeders all my life, so like the whole time that I was living at home. And we also had the odd deer that we would feed out. We had goats for a while. And my husband grew up on a dairy farm, and it's actually his family's farm that we're living on now, um, raising our family and our farm. So, Sarah, I'm going to ask, how did you guys meet? I love hearing people's stories. I'm just, I have a podcast because I'm nosy whatever (laughs) great we actually met at a church function out in new jersey i grew up in alberta canada he grew up here in michigan and we went out to new jersey that's where we met we hit it off and 18 months later we were married great so can you tell us more about how your husband was injured and a bit about his recovery and what that transition was like for your family i mean that's a that's a big one 
it is a big one, but we have been blessed with a lot of community support. He actually fell from the loader bucket the night before we'd had a really bad storm and there was a couple of trees at the farm that was that were had broken branches. So he was up in the loader bucket, like a lot of farmers do, to get up high. And when the branch came down, it hit the loader bucket, knocked him off balance. He fell backwards, landing on his neck and shoulder in the wheel well of the front tire of the tractor. He broke three vertebrae and as a C2, which is right below the skull, was just cracked a little bit. And then C6 was completely shattered and C7 was also broken. That night he went into surgery. It was an eight-hour surgery. They told me it was going to be five hours. Ended up being eight hours. And they fused him from the vertebrae C5. They went in from the back first and then they pushed him over and went in from the front and put everything up together and we weren't sure how much function he's regained back but he is apparently flies from the armpit down to his toes so does he have some use of his hands then he has use of his arms and hands thankfully and he's not on any ventilators or anything like that if he had shattered c2 like he did c6 he would be ventilator dependent and zero use of anything from his neck down. So we are very thankful that he was not injured at that level. It's, so how long was he in the hospital from accident until when he was able to come home? Like, I'm assuming it was weeks or months? From the initial accident, he was in ICU for a week, and then he got transferred to the rehabilitation hospital, and he was there for five weeks before coming home. He developed a couple pressure ulcers after he came home that ended up with him in the hospital for seven weeks in December through January. So he was actually in the hospital twice and then he was on bed rest for about a year to have those sores healed. He's still dealing with them, but he's able to get up and get going outside if he wants to now. So. Sorry, Katie, was there something else you wanted to ask there? No. Okay, sorry. So was he farming full-time at that point, or did he also have an off-farm job at the time of his accident? He ran his own tire business. It was a mobile business. He had the service truck. He was gone from 7 in the morning to 6 at night every day, and then farming in the spare time. So he was busy. And so how has has that changed overall? I mean, in, in a business sense, I mean, I know there's also, we'll get to the, you know, how it's changed your family as well, but has that company been able to continue? Has he been able to manage those things or how did things change in terms of how your, your family generates an income? We actually ended up selling all his equipment and the business shut down because he was a sole proprietor, a sole employee. Uh, just doing everything on his own. So it just wasn't feasible to keep it running. The boys were too young to take on that kind of responsibility right away. So we shut everything down. Right now for income, we're depending on social security. I'm starting to grow at home business. That It's been slow, but it's been really good for me to have something on my own and to be able to feel like I'm contributing something. And whatever tears or pigs we can sell off the farm we do that as well so in terms of your 
day-to-day life on the family side of things, how has that changed? Do you have to do renovations to the home and how has life changed for, for you and the kids? I mean, obviously it's changed massively for him, but I assume it's a, a whole, you know, the whole family has had to, had to deal with the, the outcome of his accident. Yeah, we ended up moving actually. We lived on a farm, a 20 acre um, homestead about three miles from where the farm is. Our hopes were to move to the farm after we'd been able to build a house, but with the accident happening, things changed drastically. So we ended up selling that that house and then moving to the old farmhouse. And it's been hard. I mean, the, the house is a lot of work and it, it was not kept up. So it's been really tough to adjust, for me especially. We were able to get our bathroom refitted so he can get a real shower. We had been using like a portable shower and it was just a mess every time. It was just like a two hour process just for a shower. Now it's 12 minutes. So that has really helped. We've had a lot of community support from our church and just from the farming community around us and just the community in general. They heard about the accident and they mobilized. So it was, it was pretty impressive to see how quickly people heard about the accident and they just got to work with helping in whatever way they did. Our kids were in school at the time. After COVID hit, we ended up pulling them out because they were not thriving in those conditions. So that's when we started homeschooling again and they are doing awesome, but they are responsible to help with their dad's care. And they've learned so many things with that. It's been it's been a huge adjustment like from him being gone all day to him being home and not realizing what it's like to be at home with seven kids all day long. It's been hard for him and hard for the kids too, because they're used to dad being strong and capable and that's just not happening anymore. So, but they've been really good with helping when they can. And our 12 year old will get him up in the morning. Our daughter puts him to bed at night. And that's usually the only time that we really do caregiving he is pretty independent when he's outside he can take care of what he wants to so yeah it's just it's our new normal and we're adjusting pretty well um, but yeah everything nothing's the same but it's just you, you take it a day at a time and try not to get overwhelmed with the future so sarah i worked in in home care for a number of years primarily with brain injury and spinal cord injury folks and a lot of the caretaking things are so ridiculously physically awkward i mean it's it's easy to brush your own teeth it's really hard to brush another adult's teeth you know things like that so i'm wondering how that transition was for you if you guys have you know any funny stories to tell whatever. I know for myself, you know, we had a lot of things that just got hilarious because it's so awkward to try and do so many things for another person. Um, I feel bad that we're just like (laughs) calling you up to ask tender questions about your personal life. No, it's fine. I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of care that goes into caring for someone with a spinal cord injury. And I'm all about being open and honest about it. If you look at my Facebook page, if someone asks a question, I answer it pretty bluntly and openly. The biggest transition for me, I think, was the bowel care because it was something that, I mean, you never think about it before something like this happens and all of a sudden that's put on you. In the first six months, I was, it's 
extremely close to burnout because I was doing everything on my own. But we just got to a point where poop jokes became something that having a couple of boys have seven kids as a girl. So poop jokes are kind of normal anyway, but we just learned to laugh at the really awkward things so that we didn't cry. That was just our coping mechanism. And to see his self-confidence and his it just felt like his dignity was being stripped from him step by step as he went through the process of rehabilitation and learning what our life was going to be like. It was hard to see him that way. But once we got to the point of, okay, this is just our new normal, we just have to power through it. It did get easier. He was able to, like he wasn't having accidents anymore. He's not having any leakage or anything like that. Like He's on top of his bladder care. We do his bowel care twice a day and it takes like 10 minutes instead of the two hours it was taking at first. So as his body adjusted to being paralyzed, it also adjusted to, he adjusted to the new sensations of what it's going to feel like, which has helped tremendously. And it's just, I don't know, I guess I don't think about it as much anymore, but in the first few weeks, it was really, really hard to adjust. Okay, this is my responsibility to make sure he doesn't end up in the hospital again. Um, and I took on a lot of that on me when I couldn't have, like, you do your best you can, but things are going to happen. Like with his pressure sores too, I blamed myself when I found out he had infection in there because I was doing his own care. And then he almost died from that infection. So that was something I really had to work through personally. And he never made me feel like it wasn't enough, like I wasn't doing enough. He was always very gracious, very appreciative of everything I was doing. But I think as moms, we take that on ourselves with our kids too, right? It's, it was what they call bomb guilt. And I think spinal cord injury caregivers, especially if it's a spouse, takes on the same type of guilt for the little things that happen that's fairly normal, fairly common, but there's nothing you can do to prevent it after the fact. So that was a really hard time for me emotionally. And then I just got to a point where I'm like, I can't do this on my own. And then my kids were home for, for COVID and I started training them. And I did get a, a lot of flack from some people. Well, your kids can not be put in that spot of responsibility because they're just kids. But it's a family ordeal. Like the whole family was affected. The whole family has to learn how to care for him. And I just, I ignored their haters because there's always going to be someone that's telling me you're doing it wrong. But I know what's right for my family. He knew what was right for him and our family. And he said, no, you need help. And we couldn't get the nursing help that we needed at the time. So the kids were more than eager to jump in and help with that. But yeah, it's just my advice to anybody going through it is if you're going through awkward moments where it's like, this sucks, I don't like it. Just make the awkward moments funny. Crack a joke. Because that laughter will break that tension and just, okay, we can breathe again. So I think you're, what you were saying about the the self-esteem and that, you know, so many of the folks I worked with, it seemed like the really big thing too was finding some meaningful work that they could do, some way that they could participate as, you know, as a separate person in the world. And so I'm wondering how the process has been for you guys with your husband getting back into the farming, if there's any programs that you took part in or any, you know, resources that you found that were very helpful. 
We were actually referred to Michigan Rehabilitation Resources, um, it's called MRS. I'm not sure exactly what it all stands for anymore, but they referred us over to Agribility. And last spring, they were able to get a lift on one of our tractors so my husband could get on a tractor again and they got hand controls set up for him. And seeing him on a tractor was very emotional for the whole family. We were all sitting here just crying because that's his element. That's where he feels like himself the most. And he was on the tractor quite a bit. He was so happy to be back to work that way. It's much harder in the winter because there's not much to do on our farm during the winter that he's capable of doing. But this year they're going to be putting some more helps in place to get him maybe in the combine this fall or different things like that where he can do more. Agribility is something that I never knew existed until my husband's accident. And when the rehabilitation hospital found out that he was a farmer, they're like, you have to get in touch with these people because they are going to help him get back to work in whatever capacity he can. And the man that we've been working with through Agribility has been an absolute godsend. Like he is so smart and he knows all the different things that he can either make himself for Peter or get the resources available to get what Peter needs to feel like he's contributing to the farm again. Um, he was able to plow in the spring. He was able to do hay with the boys. He was out in that tractor as much as he possibly could be. And I had not seen him that happy since his accident. So just that use of purpose, like feeling like he's had a purpose on the farm was such a huge deal. And my 15 year old actually said to me, he's like, mom, you know, when he was on the tractor the first time, he's like, I had a hard time not crying. And he's like, every time I see him on the tractor, it's hard not to cry because you know that it could have been so different. And so the kids feel it, the kids see it. Even our six year old is like, mom, dad needs to give me a tractor ride again. And it's just, that's their normal dad on the tractor, so. You know, if you get him a skid loader set up or a side-by-side, -side, you'll probably never see him again. Cause I know, you know, my husband loves his skid loader probably not more than he loves me and the kids but it's it's probably close like it is and i'm okay with that you know it's been very helpful for us so being a canadian i don't know much about agribility is it a national program yes there is yeah. a chapter in every state and they were actually able to get him a wheelchair that is like a four-wheel drive it basically looks like a four-wheeler with a single seat on it and he can well, pretty much anywhere he wants on the farm with that. Oh, that's so great. I, if he's up, I don't see him a lot of the weather's nice, which is how it's supposed to be. So, <laughs> yeah. I want to just go back to what you were saying about people judging you for, you know, requiring or asking your kids to help with care. And I just want to, you know, I know that you said it too, but I mean, like every family has you know, their tasks and their jobs. And probably as farmers, we probably get some judgment from people, would probably get judgment from people for, you know, getting our kids to do chores and, and maybe putting responsibility on their shoulder that other people don't think is suitable. But every family has to do what works for them. And I think that it's a huge benefit that your kids are seeing something and being able to contribute to your family in a way that most kids, I mean, obviously it's, 
it's not ideal circumstances and you would never choose this situation, but they're also learning so much. And I think that that's valuable and, and you're giving them a sense of accomplishment too. And that, you know, and a connection with their dad that they, they might not otherwise have. Right. My, my kids, that's like the one tour that they don't complain about. Right. You know, you can give them any other tour, and they're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But when it comes to taking care of their dads, it's one thing that they don't usually give much um, backlash about. And they do it willingly because they know that dad needs to get up in the morning to feel good, to be happy and to have a good day. So they get him up and they, they make sure he's fed and dressed. And it's just, it starts their day right too, because they have that one thing they know they have to do. And I've seen so much compassion and empathy from my kids towards other people too, because they'll be um, walking through the store and you know how Walmart has like the greeters at the door or um, Meyer will. And sometimes they put people in wheelchairs in those positions because it's a job that they can do quite easily. And they're like, mom, I wonder why they're in a wheelchair. And um, they're just, they're like, mom, that wheelchair is just like dad's or like, it's, it's some things that other kids have no idea about. But my husband, if he is asked for walking around the store and a little kid comes up to him, what happened to your feet? And he'll tell them. And, but I think being honest and open with your kids, because at the beginning, I had the door shut every time I did his care. So he had no idea what went into it. But once we moved, he lives in the living room right now because the bedroom's not big enough for all his equipment. And they saw everything and they're like, mom, I didn't realize. And it just kind of opened up their eyes to a lot more than what we had hoped for them to be opened up to, but it was, it was transformative of them too, to like, okay, they need help. We're going to help them. And we can translate that into other aspects of life too. When they see someone that needs help, they're going to go help them. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, it's that age old thing where we don't appreciate our parents until we have kids. And then you see how much work it takes, but you're almost fast forwarding that a bit. Like they're, they're seeing a little bit of, you know, the, the type of care that, you know, they required as children, not saying that, you know, that to infantilize your husband or anything, but, you know, caring for other people is, is part of being in a family. And I think oh, there's absolutely. a lot of value in that. I think too, it's really good for kids to see people in different bodies and people with different capabilities because I think our society has lost so much in trying not to be rude, which is good to not be rude, but we're so far into the, you know, don't stare that it becomes just don't acknowledge that this person is there at all, you know, and it's not healthy or good for people to just never acknowledge that there are people who aren't like them, you know, in whatever ways. And I think it's, it's really good for kids to grow up seeing all these other people too. And just the, how fragile the human body is and how fragile life is because it really doesn't take much to get a brain injury or a spinal injury or anything. It's really not a super sturdy system, not, not super bouncy, not, you know, not real yeah, not bouncing. Do you have issues with the engineering of our our spines, Katie? No, I mean, I think they're probably as good as they can be expected to be. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, 
for example, I, I had a coworker a few years ago who, you know, had a PhD and fell off the second rung of a ladder in her home. So what, 10 inches off the ground and was basically at about a third grade level, maybe after that brain injury and to, to realize how small of a thing can happen and really drastically change your life is sobering mm -hmm. and probably better not to think about too much because you probably just <laughs> yeah, never we'll leave your house again, yeah. which is also dangerous. So forget about ladders. They're all gone. Yeah. No ladders. Both feet so, firmly underground at all times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Katie and I run with a, a loose script for our listeners. You can't see it, but my, my next question is just homeschooling and the word how. So I guess I'm a mom of four and you have a lot more kids than that, Sarah. So I know you said it's, it's a recent thing, but how is homeschooling working? And I mean, you can be honest if it's not going well, or I mean, I'm I'd sure like there are know. days... <laughs> I'd like to know too, Sarah, you know, with the pandemic, there's been a lot of inadvertent homeschooling. So I'm wondering if this was something that you had planned on at all, or if it was something you had even considered with seven kids. I'm a serious introvert. I work from home. I cannot imagine having seven kids home with me all day. So I'm very impressed just by the fact that you apparently still let them in the house is be out to the barn with all of them <laughs> Just, i love my kids i do it really depends on the day we have really good days we have really good weeks we have really good months but there are some days that are just okay we're not going to focus on the books today you're going to go outside you're going to find five things to learn about and we're going to go into the book so we're going to go online and we're going to figure out what these things are we do a lot of life schooling we focus on math and reading especially for book work, but for social studies or for science or any other of the extracurriculars, we focus on life schooling. We have books that they are always available to the kids. If they wanna learn about something, there's a library close by. They know how to YouTube everything too. So, but we're teaching them life skills, like how do they save their money? How do they pay for things that they want to buy? How do they make their own cheeses and um, yogurts and, baking and all those different things that's part of life we've gotten flack about that people are not doing enough book work but you know what the book work doesn't teach them life and actually our two high schoolers our two oldest our oldest is actually working full-time for the local butcher it's actually a mobile butcher they they kill on the farm they bring him to the lock but he has the ambition that he is going to eventually maybe set up his own cut shop a lot of the smaller shops around here are the the people that are running them are ready to retire. They don't want to do it anymore. He's like, there's a need here, mom. And it's still within the egg industry, but he doesn't necessarily want to farm full time. So he's looking at different ways that way. But he asked me at the beginning of the year, he's like, mom, I don't necessarily need to learn algebra. That's not helpful in my life, what I want to do in my life. So we're looking at a consumer math where it teaches him about loans and interest rates and how to balance a checkbook properly, how to keep a savings account investments and all those things that are helpful for him going forward. Our 16 year old has been running the farm with dad's help for the last year and a half or so since our oldest started working. And our third son does have some 
uh, learning disabilities. But again, we if we focus on life skills, he's really good at hunting and fishing. And he actually is the one that processed all our chickens this year for us. And so those life skills are hands-on. They're still learning so much, but it's not necessarily what it would look like in a school setting. Some people give us kudos. Some people give us hate mail for that, but it is what it is. That's the way my kids learn the best. And the wonderful thing about homeschooling is that you can tailor this curriculum to your child. My one friend said something to me earlier this year, and she's like, teach the child, not the curriculum. So what your child needs, what their interests are, that's the area that you focus on and they will thrive in that kind of environment. My daughter loves reading and writing and so we found her a pen pal and she reads books like they're going out of style. And my 12 year old just is a helper. He loves helping with anything he can. And so in ways that we tailor his education is okay what do you need to learn to be able to help people with this and then they have to go find the information on their own my goal as a homeschooling mom is to teach them how to learn and then they can they can know anything that they want to know in the future yeah i think we're a pretty firmly pro trades podcast, I think. I mean, not that we are anti-higher education, but I think teaching your kids critical thinking and logic and, you know, how to learn, like you said, is so much more important than teaching them a specific educational topic. Because if they know how to learn and they know how to think, they can learn whatever they want. You know, if they haven't learned how to think and how to learn things for themselves, they're pretty screwed. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure your your uh, domination. Dominate myself as a category or? So if, if you're entering something at the county fair, we want you to pick the category that you're going to win. So. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Or you can make up a things. category if there's a, if there's something you're good at, but you've never actually seen it at a fair. This hypothetical fair is whatever you want it to be. Maybe how to stay sane in chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's sounds like you're, uh, <laughs> you're doing well at that one. So we're going to move into our usual cussing and discussing segment. So we welcome our listener submissions to this one. So we've recently registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we can play them on the show. So go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you. So Katie, do you have anything to cuss or discuss this week? I don't know yet. I think the thing I, I don't want to cuss it, but as so many people, including myself, are coming to a better understanding of how their brain works. A lot of people are finding out about the ways in which they or their family members might be neurodivergent, you know, with autism or ADHD or any of that vast number of interesting ways that people's brains work. How nice it would be to have more understanding of the fact that different is not in any way inferior, but that it 
can just mean different. And I had no idea where I was going with this. And please, I will just edit it out. And Arlene, why don't you cuss and discuss first? And I will okay. reconsider where I was going with this. I might sounding... just cuss and discuss the whole cussing and discussing segment. It was sounding good to me. Okay, well, here, I'll just I'll just finish then and we'll just embrace the freeform embrace, nature of our show. Embrace the difference. I work for a tech company. I work for a company that's owned by Microsoft. I am not a computer person. Computers don't make any sense to me. If I close the tabs on my computer, they are gone. Having to use an online calendar like Google Calendar, I hate it. I have three paper planners and... 17 post-it notes stuck to my desktop right now and also another paper weekly calendar because I am realizing that in the way my brain works if I do not literally write it down with my hot little hands which I'm like waving my hands because you can totally see that through the radio it does not exist it is dead to me and also realizing that my brain compartmentalizes people by However, I compartmentalize their personalities or their hobbies or whatever, despite any physical differences or similarities or anything else. And then my brain will confuse many people who don't look anything alike and call one person the other person's name because in my my brain has decided they're the same person and that's just how it's going to be. It's a, it's a fun and interesting place inside my head, but it would be nice if we just embraced what strange and creative places people's brains can be. So that's that. Sarah, do you have anything to cuss and discuss? I don't know. I just, I, I'm really blessed to be part of a community that comes together when people need it. I've seen them do it with other people um, in hard times. And I, I guess I wish that the whole world would kind of be that way where you see someone in need and you reach out and you help. It doesn't have to be big. I mean, some of the biggest blessings have just been someone dropping off a card and saying, we're praying for you. So don't be afraid to reach out to people who are hurting that you know that are struggling with anything. And and I think especially since COVID, so many more people are just out there not knowing what their next step is. So just be mindful of other people and be kind everybody is fighting a battle you know nothing about on the, on the other side of it. That is a really good reminder. And Katie, I like your brain. Thanks, Arlene. I like your brain too. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to be cussing this week. And it sounds like I'm cussing us because we're contributing to the problem. But what I'm cussing this week is there are too many podcasts out there because there are too many good podcasts out there that I want to listen to. And every time I have like a spare five minutes, I'm like, which one am I going to listen to? Because I have, I don't know, too many on my phone. Like it's going to crash someday because there, there's just too many on there. But I keep finding new podcasts that I like, or then I find new guests from other podcasts who then are a host other podcasts. And it's just overwhelming. There's too many. But Arlene, we should I'm have a... Listening a contest of some sort to see which of our listeners has the most podcasts subscribed to on their phone. <laughs> see, I don't even Whose phone is most to all... likely to actually explode. Yeah. I don't subscribe to all of them because then I mean, I suppose I could change the settings and not automatically download them because then I would definitely crash if I was subscribed to too many, but yeah, I've got way too many. Plus 
I like to speed them up so they go a bit faster, but there's only so far you can go. And depending on the podcast, like you have to adjust that because sometimes they could just get too fast and then they turn into chipmunks and it's too much. I really wonder about shows like Too Beautiful to Live where they put out an almost two hour episode five days a week. Like, wow. how do you come up with something to talk about for 10 hours a week? That's a I mean, I'm glad they do. It's a funny show, but you know, getting an hour's worth of content a week is more than <laughs> sometimes enough for me. <laughs> sometimes it's the stretch for us. It really is. Other days it's really not, but. You know. So I guess on that note, we want to thank you, Sarah, for being willing to talk to us today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy life to speak to us. If people want to find you or learn more about agribility or anything like that do you have an online presence or is there anywhere someone could look you up if they wanted to talk or were in a similar situation my facebook page is open to the public anyone can follow me or send me a um, direct message i'm open to answering any questions that people may have yeah shoot me a dm and i'm happy to chat so thanks so much for joining us sarah and i guess you can probably unlock your van doors now i've seen your kids are kind of <laughs> photo <laughs> they're hovering who's she talking very, to in there very polite and well-mannered but yeah you can see them kind of wandering around the back there all right so thank you everyone for joining us here today on barnyard language you can find us on facebook instagram and tiktok as barnyard language and on twitter we are barnyard pod if you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. Patreon is a service where you can commit to make a small monthly donation, which goes towards the making of this podcast. We would love it if you would become a patron and support the show. Go to www.patreon.com slash barnyardlanguage to support us. We are always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch.